Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church message of the week. Love Key Church is a local expression of a part of the body of Christ with a focus on creating a place, opportunity and atmosphere through worship music and the word where people can encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and then help others to do the same. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife Valetta and our four children, we recently launched Love Key Church right here in Somerset West. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this message. If you are in this area and you don't have a spiritual family, please feel free to join us Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. at 22 Dirky A Street. We would love to welcome you there. Enjoy the message. Please remember to like, follow, and subscribe, and to share this with other people if you find that it is uplifting, encouraging, and inspiring to you. Thank you so much. God bless you as you listen to this word. So those of you who have been here, we, we started last week a series on encountering God. Um, as you've seen by now, the, the three words that is underneath the name of the church is encounter, align, and reign. And that is for a very specific reason. Um, when God started speaking to us about the ministry, those were the the the. Th- the words that crystallized uh, out of my times with him, asking, what is the focus? What is this supposed to be? And one of the, one of the things that helped me to shape th- this, this idea was when I attended a, a conference, a church planting conference. Yes, I went to one. Um, where the guy who hosted it, he had such a great summary of what, church should be, and it really impacted my life. He said that a life-giving church should get lost people saved, saved people healed, healed people discover their callings, and then send them out in those callings. And all four of those people should feel welcome on a Sunday. I was like, yes, please. That is a great summary. (laughs) And so through talking to God, thinking about what is this ministry about, the three words that came out was encounter, align, reign, which, in a, which summarizes the same thing in another way. Because there's different ways that we encounter God. If someone who is not saved encounters Him, they will get saved. Because you cannot encounter the living God and leave unchanged. If you did, then you didn't encounter Him. That's really my conviction. Or if you may have chosen him at one point, but you've backslidden, as the Bible says, you've gone back to old ways, an encounter with him will bring you home. And if you are in a great relationship with him, and things are going well, and you encounter him, you will go deeper and further in your relationship with him, and become more of the person that he has made you to be. We will get to the align and reign, but when you encounter him, then you want to align with His purposes and His purposes for your life. And eventually we will get to that place where Paul says we reign in life. We're not just here to survive. We're here to thrive and to build the kingdom of God. So that's where those values come from. So I want to step into each of those um, as we plant this church and share the values. So I hope everyone's on the same page. So today we're going to talk, last week we spoke about encountering God. I shared a bit of my personal testimony and we looked at the life of Paul and how he got, how he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and how it completely changed his life. 
He was unsaved and he became saved. And the Bible says he immediately started preaching <laughs> the Christ, which he just two days before was, was persecuting. Um, so what is, today I want to I talk about uh, the subject of wrestling with God. And what is the point of an encounter with God? I believe a, the point of an encounter with God is change. Change for you or God? <laughs> for you, right? And the question is then, what changes? What changes when we have this encounter? What should be changing? I believe that mainly it is, it normally, and in most cases, it starts with our identity. Our identity is formed and shaped with each encounter with God. And our character is built and maturity is gained. That is what encounters with God bring into our life. And then what the amazing thing is about encounters with God is it, it doesn't just change our lives because when we get more like Jesus, when we, when, we be, when we step into the identity that He has for us more and more, the people around us also benefit, right? Because when you're closer to Jesus, then you will love your wife better. You will love your children better. You will be a greater influence for the kingdom on your community. People will see the character of Christ in your life, and they will be attracted to that. People are not attracted to pious, fake, they are attracted to Christ in you. And the more time you spend with Him, the more you become like Him. That is why we want to invite you every time. When you come here and when you're at home, try to have as many encounters with God as possible because that's what changes our lives. An encounter with God creates an opportunity for change. But the change will only come when we make a decision to surrender to His ways and let the change happen. You see, an encounter with God is an opportunity. You have an opportunity today to encounter Him. Through worship, we already had it. Through the Word, you will have it again. But, and you will be presented with an opportunity to encounter Him. The question is, for each and every one of us, will we take the step forward and say, yes, I want to encounter you? Because God will never force Himself on you. Even with Paul, when he, when he encountered Saul on that road to Damascus, I mean, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty mind-blowing. But still, Saul had a choice. He could have kept on kicking against the goads, but he didn't. He surrendered. So I want to invite you, as we talk through this, to, to surrender to what God wants to do to you today, speak into your life today. Amen? I can see you're very excited about it. That's wonderful. It's a good start. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we get to get together, that we get to read your word, that we get to listen to what you have to say through your word. I pray right now, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you will lead me as I teach, preach, share this word. I pray that, you, that each heart and mind and soul and spirit in this place will be open to receive the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that this, this place, this atmosphere, this moment will be seasoned with your love as your truth is revealed. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to share two quick testimonies, stories in my life where I felt that I wrestled with God. 
I don't know how many of you have ever felt like, man, I'm really, I'm not really wrestling with anything specific, but I'm wrestling with God about certain something. Anyone? All right. The first time I, I remember that this was a, a thing in my life was I was still a student at Stellenbosch. I was studying law. <laughs> yes. And I had, up until that point, I'd kind of worked my way into standing for the student council, the SRC. And I was very excited about it. I was a Haka. I did the whole hostel Haka thing. I was on the culture committee for the student council. And the next step is to stand for the SRC. And I was very excited about it. I also had LLB, you know, looming. Um, but I wasn't going to let that stop me from <laughs> my political career at the university. Um, so the... There was this one day where the following day, I would have to go and put in my nomination for the SRC. And I was excited about it. There was also the same day, a prayer gathering call together where different denominations on campus. So to be politically correct, to be a church on campus, you had to be a um, social entity or something. I can't remember what they called it. So all these churches, you had, you know, Dutch Reformed, or the traditional churches, they were the charismatic churches, they were the, the new churches that were still seen as sects, kind of, uh, <laughs> that, they were all there, and they called together a prayer meeting for the voting of the SRC, because there, was a, there were two people standing for the SRC whose campaigns were to take out the Christian nature of the constitution of the university, and we wanted to make sure as many Christian leaders will stand for the SOC as possible so that that can't happen. And that's also one of the reasons why I wanted to stand, is to be one of those people. So I'm excited. I'm going to put in my nomination, and I'm going to go pray. That night, I felt God start speaking to me so clearly in my spirit. And all, it, was, it was a short conversation. <laughs> he just said to me, don't stand. It's not for you. I was like, what? That makes no sense. Like, I've been building up to this moment. This is what I want. This, I can do so much for you and the kingdom. You know, <laughs> like that whole, I was wrestling with God. And it, it got to a point where I felt this heaviness in my spirit. Like, I really want to do this. But if I do this, it's going to be such a bad decision. All of this was like, I was wrestling with this. I didn't sleep that night. I felt terrible the next day. I was kind of, I went to campus like with my tail between my legs, you know, kinda like, okay, you won. I won't do it. I really wanted to, but I won't do it. I'm going to be obedient. And I felt I still need to go to that prayer meeting. Didn't really want to, but I'm still going to go. So I went. We had this whole meeting and people talked and talked and talked. And at the end of it, they said, okay, thank you. You can go. And I was like, hello. I thought we were going to get together to pray, Mr. Chairman. And he said, Oh, yeah, sure, you can pray. <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm... okay, so I prayed. Afterwards, a pastor came up to me. I think I shared this part with you. A pastor came up to me and said, I have a prophetic word for you. Now, at that point, I was saved, but still in a traditional church setting, never had those words come to me. Like, I've got a prophetic word for you. Never. First time, Ever. And he says to me, I believe God is saying that there will be great opportunities coming your way and you need to grab hold of them with everything that you are. I was like, cool, that's nice. I had no idea what to do with that. (laughs) 
But that was that day. I had this wrestle, and then that day. That December, I toured, I did a little tour for the first time. I did uh, put a little band together. I did five Christian worship shows along the coast in five days for 500 rand a show. And when I finished there and I went home, for the first time in my life, I knew that I knew I was supposed to make music for a living, at least for the foreseeable future. And three weeks later, I heard about this thing called Idols. And it changed my life. If I had stood for the SRC and gotten that position, I would have, it would have been even harder to make that choice to do what God has put in my path. So the wrestling was tough, but I thank God today that I was able to be obedient in that moment. Skip forward quite a bit in my life. A letter alluded earlier to our tough financial time we went through when moving to the Cape. You know, I, I really had this picture in my mind that if you do what God says, it'll go really well with you. And with really well, I mean everything will fall perfectly into place and it'll be easy. I really had this idea because I've heard many testimonies of people talking about, you know, they, they trusted God and then they opened up their microwave and there was money. It's like, that sounds great. I want to do that. Can I do that? Can I have one of those? <laughs> so I thought, okay, we're moving to Cape Town. Yes, we're being obedient. Lo leave your label. Go alone. Okay. Another one. Uh, buy a house you can't afford and renovate it. Okay. Leave the Afrikaans music scene and go Christian. Okay. <laughs> and through this whole journey, we just kept hemorrhaging money. <laughs> and we had nothing at one point. Really felt like we had nothing. And we defaulted on quite a few payments. One of them was our medical aid. We lost our medical aid. And this was very difficult. Now, we had three kids and I, I, I went to God and I said, Lord, I don't understand all of what we're going through. And this really sucks. And I just ask, please don't let anything happen to my kids until we have medical aid again. <laughs> like what a prayer, you know. I mean, don't ever let anything happen to them, but specifically now. <laughs> don't let that happen to them. <laughs> And what I was basically telling God is like, I kind of trust you, but I trust my medical aid more. <laughs> I didn't see it like that at the time. I was just like, I can't not have medical aid. This is terrible. So please protect my children. That was really my heart's cry. Lo and behold, one day, Leon, my oldest, falls off our um, jungle gym. It's a, it's a metal one, and it's got these round rods at the base he falls with his elbow on the rod, and I walk towards him. He's screaming and writhing in pain, you can just imagine. And I can see from a distance, this is not just a bump. The arm was like bent. And everything inside of me just kind of goes, Whoa. and immediately I was angry at God. It's like, how can you let this happen? Yeah? How can you let this happen? And I was, I was upset, I was sad, I was, my boy is in pain, and I'm like, I can't do, I can't do anything about this. I can't. I can't take my boy 
to a proper hospital. And I'm, I've heard horror stories about public hospitals, so I don't want to do that. But my father was there. My brother-in-law was there. We were having lunch when this all happened. And they both came to me and said, don't worry. We're going to take care of this. So we go to Busamed. They take care of Leon. It's still like everything inside of me is like, you know, this is not lacquer. My brother-in-law takes care of the financial side of things. And um, my pride is, (laughs) it was horrible. That Sunday, I'm sitting in church. I'm like, I'm not going to worship. I'm sitting there, I'm like, angry at God. And at one point, this is going to sound weird, but I almost felt like the Holy Spirit gave me a slap upside the head. You know, when you... When you, your boy is doing something silly and you just go, hey, stop it, you know? It was that kind of thing. Like I felt this, <laughs> and he asked me a question and then he told me something. He said, did I not provide? Did I not provide? And I immediately realized he did provide. Just not in the way that I wanted. It made me uncomfortable. It killed my pride. It was awful for my flesh, but he did provide. And he was trying to show me something as a loving father. And then he told me something. You are not a victim. You are a victor. Because I am with you. Yo, then I worshipped. <laughs> Next moment, I was like, ah! Hands in the air going crazy. It was such an amazing moment in my life, but I had to wrestle with it, with God, to get to that other side. This morning, I want to share the story of Jacob with you. Many of you may have heard the story of Jacob wrestling with God, but I wonder how many of you really understand it. When I... I felt God tell me, I need to talk about this today. And I went to read the story. And to be quite honest with you, reading it the first time again, I was like, this makes no sense. The sequence of events, the, I, don't, I don't really get it. And I kept reading it. Then I read the whole story of Jacob with that event. After that, I went to, I read a lot of, I read so much on this. I watched other sermons on this. I stole a lot of their material. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> So I, wanna, I want to read the story of this encounter, this wrestle. And then I want to give you the quick timeline of Jacob's life up until this point. Then we're going to read this again. And then I want to I show you what happened after this wrestle, wrestling moment. All right, are you with me? Are you with me? <laughs> Then Jacob was left alone, and a man, capital M, wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what's your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men 
and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you seek about my name? Ask about my name. Um, sorry. And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel. Is it, where am I? Okay, so it's the last slide here, sorry. So Jacob asked, uh, called the name, placed the name Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Okay, so that is the scripture. We're now going to look at his life and what it was like up until this point. So I'm going to try to do this quickly because I want to get to the crux of it. But I think it's important to get the context. Are you with me? All right. So, Jacob, the meaning of his name is supplanter or deceiver. And in this context, it actually means taking the place of something else in an illegitimate way. The reason he was named Jacob was when he came out of the womb, he was holding on to his brother's Esau's ankle. And Jacob means heel grabber or supplanter, which means taking the place of. So he, he was literally called someone who takes someone else's place. That's like what people spoke over him. <laughs> All right. He, he was known as a deceiver, a wheeler, a dealer, a hustler. That was what he was known for. I want to read this scripture to you where, um, where Rebecca got the children. This is also important. Genesis 25 from 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, if you're Isaac and you know your dad, Abram, got a word from the Lord, that you know that you're going to have children. But now your wife is barren. I mean, that in itself is a little lesson for all of us. God promises one thing. The circumstances look different. What does he do? He prays to the Lord. The Lord grants for his wife. That's a separate, issue, separate thing. But anyway, now listen to this. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to the Lord to inquire. So she had a question. She went to God. This is a great pattern for us to learn from. Why is this happening to me? And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided the one shall be stronger than the other. Listen to this. The older shall serve the younger. So Rebecca, the mother, gets a prophetic word from God, like firsthand, that the younger will be in charge. The older will serve the younger. So she knows from the beginning. Jump to Genesis 25, verse 25. This is where the kids are born. The first came out red and all his body like a hairy cloak. Can you imagine a baby born <laughs> covered in red hair? So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So he, his name was called Jacob, heel catcher. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Listen to this, also very important. Isaac, the dad, loved Esau because he ate of his game. <laughs> Goeie, so goeie sien, hy bring vir my vlees. 
But Rebecca loved Jacob. So nowadays we would say Jacob was a real mama's boy, right? And Esau was a man of the field. Okay, I'm going to try and go through this quickly. <sighs> Sequence of events. So first thing that is significant in the storyline is Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of food, soup. Lensi soup, it was always heard in Afrikaans. So this is important to note, birthright, all right? There's two things that, that stand out in the story. It's birthright and blessing. So here you see Jacob in action, the deceiver, the conniver, the ones, the supplanter taking someone else's place. So he sells his birthright. That's the first thing. Second thing we see is Isaac receives a promise from God, which is almost word for word the same as what his father got. So Isaac gets a word from God, he sows into barren land and he gets a harvest and becomes rich because he trusted God. Now Isaac calls Esau to bless him. This is not suddenly where, where Isaac is old, about to die. He calls in Esau to bless him, but he says, you must go and get food for me so I can eat and then I can bless you. Rebecca hears this. She calls Jacob and say, listen, this is what's happening. You need to quickly grab a goat and pretend that it's from the wild, make stew or food, bring it to your father. And he's like, he's going to know I'm not Esau. He's going to feel me. He's going to smell me. And then quickly she sorts that out. He goes in there. And what he, what he takes now is the blessing that was supposed to be for Esau. He receives the blessing. So first he connives his brother out of his birthright, which in Isaac's eyes doesn't really matter. But between the brothers, it's an issue. Because Isaac was still going to bless Esau. That was his intention. But now, the supplanter comes and he, ste he steps in the gap. Je Esau comes in and, and he finds out what Jacob had done. And he is furious, you can imagine. And Isaac realizes what happened. He's like, oh, shucks, I already blessed him. And then Esau's like, do you only have one blessing? Can't you bless me as well? And then he blessed him, but he, he blessed him almost with the opposite of what he blessed Jacob with, when you go and read that. Now Esau's upset, he vows to kill him. Rebekah hears this, and she tells Jacob to run to his brother Laban. Then something really weird happens that I'm still trying to figure out myself. But Isaac knows that Jacob deceived him. But the very next chapter, after Re Rebekah has already told him what to do, go to Laban, and go be safe there. Suddenly Isaac calls him in. He blesses him a second time. A different blessing. This is very interesting. And then he says, you should go to your brother Laban. Now guys, I don't want to read anything into scripture. That's very dangerous. But I am married. And I know what it can be like. Rebecca decides what happens. And she makes suggestions to Isaac. Because that's, that's the gap <laughs> between Rebecca saying and then Isaac saying exactly the same thing. Anyway, that's just a side note. Jacob goes to Laban. First night, he sleeps on his way. He sees an amazing dream. He sees angels walking up and down a ladder to heaven. And then the Lord speaks to him. He blesses him and he gives him a promise that sounds, again, almost word for word the same as the promise to Isaac and the promise to Abraham. Powerful stuff. Um, yeah, then Jacob makes a vow to God. Now, he's had this whole thing. 
He's this, he saw this thing. He got a word from God. Then Jacob, now listen to this. He's even kind of scheming with God, all right? He says, Jacob makes a vow. Uh, if God keeps him, protects him, gives him food and makes sure he's okay, then he will serve him as God, all right? But then something very interesting, just a confirmation of earlier, Jacob also promises he will give a tenth of all that God gives him to God. Next, he meets Rachel on the way to Laban. He falls in love. The Bible actually says when he met her, he kissed her, and then he cried. It's like, what's that about? But that's a side story. He goes to Laban. He says, I want to marry Rachel as a wage. And he says, you have to work for seven years. Then Jacob gets some of his own medicine, and Laban deceives him and gives him the older sister. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how they pulled it off. She must have had a veil on the whole time and not said a word. Till the next day. And he wakes up and he's like, ah, <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> you gave me the wrong wife. And then he said, oh, you know, in, in our tradition, in our culture, uh, it's very bad to marry the younger before the older. So <laughs> there you go. And then he said, okay, I'll work another seven years for Rachel. So this is all happening. Then Jacob makes a deal with Laban where he, it's the whole thing of the speckled and the spotted lambs and goats. And, and he, he, it looks initially like he is deceiving him. And I thought, whoa, you're clever. I don't know how you came up with this idea. Like exposing the sheep with the speckled and to certain things. And then he basically ruined Laban's flock and he himself got super rich with the ones that he chose to have. And then it reveals, then um, Jacob reveals to his wives that an angel of God appeared to him and told him to do that because Laban had cheated him. So he was actually being obedient in that scene, which I found quite interesting. He tells his wives what happens and says, we need to get out of here because God had spoken to him then and said, go back. Sorry, first, uh, Laban got angry. And he heard that he was angry. At the same time, God says to Jacob, go back to the land of your father. He tells his wives, they said, we don't need much convincing. We will go with you. Laban chases after Jacob as he goes back to the land of his father. Now imagine you're Jacob, okay? You're leaving one place where a guy is really angry at you, going to another place where there's a guy probably still mad at you. Talk about being between a rock and a hard place. Like, and you've got all this flock all these people working for you. You've got two wives. Their maids are also your wives. It's, there's a lot of kids involved. It's hectic. He's in the middle of this. Laban catches up with him, but God speaks to Laban and says to him, you will not say a good or a bad thing about Jacob. And, and Laban comes to him and says, okay, God has spoken to me about you, so I'm not going to do anything. But he basically said, dude, who stole my idols? So it turns out, his one daughter, Rachel, stole, stole his household idols, and that was really what he was after. Jacob had no idea. He was looking for it, looking for it, didn't find it. Bottom line of that whole scene is they come to an agreement, they make a covenant. Laban and Jacob makes a covenant. So Jacob is able to sort out at least this one situation. Now he sends scouts ahead to see what is the situation with Esau. They come back and say, Esau is coming. And he's got 400 men. That's all that Jacob hears. He's assuming this is not good news. So he gets afraid. 
Now he makes a plan. He's going to try and appease Esau by sending presents ahead of him. So he divides all his belongings and people into three companies. And he gives them each instruction to go and say, My Lord Esau, your servant Jacob sends this. Now what was the word that God gave to Rebekah? The younger, the, the older will serve the younger. But now Jacob is going, I need him to think that I'm serving him. My Lord, do you get it? Okay. So let me make sure. So he, he, this is his plan. He sends out different companies with instructions. And lastly, he sends away his wives and sons. He does this in the middle of the night. They camp. And then says in the middle of the night, he sends out his wives and children over the Jabbok River. And then it says, he is left alone. So what does it look like here initially? It looks like he's a coward. It looks like he's like putting up human shields. Right? That's kind of what it looks like. So he just got out of one mess. He feels like he's heading into another one. And he's sending out people <laughs> hoping that it'll sort out the situation. And even when he sent out his wives and kids, I thought, woof, that's, that's hectic. But the story is not finished. So I want to read this passage we read earlier again in the New Living Translation. So this is again, because what it says is, then he was left alone. And the next moment it says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of sockets. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob, supplanter, deceiver. Heel grabber. Then the man said, your name will no longer be deceiver, heel grabber, supplanter. Your name will from now on be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men. We've seen that and you've won. Then Jacob goes, please tell me your name like he doesn't know yet. Jacob said, uh, sorry, and he said, why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. So he doesn't answer him. But it, anyway, so I want to go through the story quickly. And then I want to try to give you the picture that I feel God gave me. Man, it's already half past 11. Can we still go? This is good stuff. I really, I promise you. Can you still concentrate a little bit longer? All right. No, no one said yes. I'm just going. Um. So upon the first read of this, it is a little, it's a little weird, right? A man, capital M, comes and wrestle in the middle of the night with the mama's boy. Okay? Remember that. He was homely, making food, being in the tents. But now he's wrestling with a man who turns out to be either, I've read different uh, commentators, I've watched different sermons. Some people believe that this is what called is, is what, what is called a Christophany, which is a moment in the Old Testament where Jesus Christ makes an appearance. So there are many scholars who believe this is one of those moments, and there are reasons for that. 
One of the reasons is that the term being used here, when it says a man with capital M, you find the same reference in Joshua 5, when Joshua is about to go into Jericho, he says he saw a man, capital M, across the river with a sword drawn. And that gave him, he got a word from him, and it gave him the confidence to do what he had to do. So this, they believe, some people say, is a Christophany. Um, some translations say it's an angel. Um, but the fact that it says later on, you've wrestled with God, we can know that it was an encounter, a wrestling encounter with God. And in Hosea, we also read a confirmation that this is actually exactly what happened, that Jacob wrestled with God. It is confirmed later in the Word of God. So, you've got a man who's known as a mama's boy, who is wrestling God slash angel slash Jesus. This is happening. It says that it went on till daybreak. And it says that when the man saw that he would not prevail. Okay. Why would God struggle against a homebody, a mama's boy, when they wrestle? Does that make sense to you? That's weird, right? And then it says, when he saw that he would not prevail, he just touched his hip and it went out of socket. Didn't bump it, didn't get him into a, it touched. So what does that say? That says that all along, he could have done anything to him. But he chose to wrestle on his level. Do you hear that? There's one um, pastor, Adam, I forgot his last name now. He's from uh, South no, Seagate Church. He said that he believes this is kind of like when a father wrestles with his son. You let them win or let them think they win. And then at one point when it gets a little bit too much, you do something and they go, oh man, <laughs> I'm still the boy. Just for them to know that. Which I think is a, is a, it's one, it's a good way to think of the situation. I don't see a lot of scriptural evidence that that is the case, but I think it's an interesting way to look at this. When I asked God about this, I felt that he said, it may not make sense to you, but for Jacob, it was exactly what needed to happen. And then I was like, oh my word. So, and then I felt God say to me, each of us are going through certain things, certain struggles, certain things we wrestle with him with. And he is going to let us wrestle. The way I wrestled with him over not having medical aid and my boy getting hurt, he knew that I needed to wrestle with him about that in, my, in the way that I needed to wrestle with him so that I can get to the conclusion of who I am. And what happened in this case? He went from being the deceiver, the supplanter, the heel grabber to being the name of God's people. One who struggled with God, who wrestled with God, but prevailed. That's, I think that's amazing. Before his encounter, before his wrestling encounter, Jacob was still quite self-seeking, ambitious, desperate for his father's attention. Because remember, Isaac loved Esau. So this is a typical situation of a son feeling, my dad doesn't love me. I need to get his attention somehow. And he used the way of dece deception. He was still persistent in getting blessed. 
even making things happen in his own strength in deceiving ways that God already had ordained. He should have known from his mom that this is ordained by God. He doesn't have to manipulate it, but he did. He even sent out everyone before him, knowing that they may be attacked by Esau, and he was seemingly behaving like a coward. But let's look at what hap- who he was and how he acted after this encounter, and that is what counts. After this encounter, the Bible goes on to say, he went on before his family. So this is interesting. He sent out his wives. Then the next chapter says he actually passed them. So they went ahead, yes, but they stopped. And then he passed them and alone, alone faced Esau and 400 men. And it says that he bowed down to the ground. And that Esau came and immediately Esau's heart, you can see, also has changed in the meantime. Esau grabbed him. It said he kissed him on his neck. A brother kissing him on his neck. And, he, and, he's, and then they have this whole weird conversation, not weird, but typical conversation where, listen, I really don't want the gifts. You can keep them. No, 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 no. You keep them. No, no, no. You. It's like that kind of thing what's happening. So it's kind of funny when you read it in that sense. Jacob's identity was made whole in that wrestling with God. That is what happened. His identity was made whole. The thing that he was looking for, he thought he was looking for his dad to bless him. He thought he was looking for a wife. He thought he was looking for money and finances and being strong with goats and sheep and all that stuff. He thought he was fighting to get all these things. But what he really was wrestling with was his identity. And the only one that could give it to him was God. All along, he was actually wrestling with God. So God came to him in the form of a man to help him sort out his issues, so to speak. Leon has a broken elbow that doesn't completely straighten out properly. He is my son. He is my flesh. When I look at that, when I see his arm, it's, it's, it's like this dislocated hip of Jacob. He was marked for the rest of his life by his wrestling with God. And it's not a bad thing. It seems to us maybe like a bad thing. But Jacob would never forget the day that he wrestled with God. He will never forget the day when his life was changed. My battle was not so much against financial difficulty and lack, but against a lie believed about my heavenly father that he couldn't provide That's the thing I had to struggle with, that I had to wrestle with, and that God had to come and show me just how good He is. Maybe you feel the same way in some area of your life today. Maybe you have an inner struggle, a wrestling match going on that you think is one thing, a person, a relationship, a family member, financial lack, whatever it may be, but what it really is It's a struggle with your own identity and who you are in Christ. I want to invite you into a moment today. Maybe it's, it's having a wrestling moment in your spirit and bringing this to God. Those things that you feel, it's too much, it's too difficult, I can't do this. And, and letting Him show you who you are. Maybe your name is financial lack. Maybe your name is 
I don't know what my purpose is. Maybe your name is, I'm struggling in my marriage. Whatever that name is, God wants to come today and say, what's your name? It's not your name anymore. It's not your name anymore. I want to call you my son. I want to call you my daughter. I want to call you blessed. I want to call you exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can ask or think blessed. I want to call you powerful in me. I want to call you whatever God wants to speak to you today. Please close your eyes. Open up your hands as if to receive from God today. Maybe you first have to identify that thing. But if you know already, just let God minister to you right now. Maybe you're angry with God, upset with Him about stuff that hasn't gone the way you wanted it to go. Maybe you blame Him for certain things that have happened in your life or gone wrong. I want to invite you to lay that at His feet. You may, you may need to repent for being angry at God. You may need to forgive God, which is such a crazy idea, but sometimes we need to do that. And say, Lord, I know, I know. I can see through the story of Jacob's life that what I'm really looking for is identity. What I'm really looking for is for you to bless me, to show me who I really am. So I ask now, Lord, that you will come and do that. let the Holy Spirit minister to you for a moment. stand Lord Jesus we love you we honor you we worship you you are our father thank you for loving us thank you Jesus if there's anyone in this room today realize you've never given your life to Jesus you've never really decided to follow him maybe you you are like I was when I was 16 a cultural Christian not a born again gave my life to Jesus Christian but just someone who grew up in a Christian home and maybe God spoke to you today in a powerful way maybe you realize that I have chosen to follow him but I'm nowhere near where I should be, where I could be. I have missed out on many opportunities to go deeper. 
to wrestle with God about the things that are in the back of my mind, but I just let it slide. If that's you, I want you to just, while everyone's closed, close their eyes, I just want to slip up your hand. Just say, that's me, that's me. So anyone like that who wants to say yes to Jesus today? today that wants to, that, that felt God showed them specific things they were wrestling with. If that's you, that God showed you something today, please slip up your hand as well. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. All right, Lord, I thank you that you are here with us. I thank you that you did a powerful thing in our lives today. I thank you for the story of Jacob. I thank you for you being such an amazing father and for meeting each and every one of us exactly where we need to be met and that you let us wrestle in exactly the way we need to wrestle with you so that we can get our breakthrough, so that we can get our new name in you. We praise you, we honor you, and we worship you, Jesus. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make His face shine upon you. You are amazing. You are blessed and highly favored. I want you to say this with me as we're going to read it together, all right? Are you ready? One, two, three. I am a child of God. I live to know Jesus and to make Him known. I am a friend of God. I am a joint heir with Jesus who owns everything. I'm the head and not the tail. I am blessed in my going in and in my going out. What I do in this life matters in eternity. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church message of the week. We trust that you found that encouraging, inspiring, hopefully challenging in a good way and that you will come back next week to listen again. We want to invite you once again, if you are in the Helderberg area and you're looking for a spiritual home, to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 22 Durkee A Street. May God bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you and your family. Bye-bye.